the shark arrives once. She swims forever, never ceasing, ceaselessly passing water through her jaws and out her gills. Stillness kills. The shark has been swimming since before history, since before sapiens, since before trees first sprang from the soil. The shark is the ancient, almighty predator whose jagged smile has tasted everything both living and dead, and has drank whole oceans down the jaws and past the gills, forever drinking, never ceasing, for ceasing to swim means ceasing to breathe for the gills of the shark who swims forever. The shark never rests, is never content, never knows peace. Rest, peace, those only arrive once. Only once with eyes rolled back as if on the attack may the shark become still. The shark arrives once, but when it arrives, it is no longer a shark. Are you the type who keeps going without knowing where they're going? Listen on. This is how you win, baby. You plan to win. All right, enough of the motivational coach speaking. This is about revision. That's what Authors Doesn't Revise is about. And when revising, it's most important to know when not to revise. I know I don't talk about Star Wars enough on the show, so here's another anecdote. There's this pretty infamous revision of the original Star Wars movie. See, in the original cut, we first meet Han Solo in this scummy cantina, and he gets held at gunpoint by this green, greedy character named Greedo. This conversation the two have gives us insight into Han's character, all the while, Han is reaching for his own gun under the table. Uh, I bet you have. Uh. And once he's got it, he shoots without warning. Pow! Leaving Greedo a steaming corpse. This tells us who Han really is. A pragmatic, dangerous rogue who's on the run from some very bad people. McClunky. In later cuts of the movie, George Lucas decided to make Han a gooder good guy. So he digitally alters the scene so that Greedo shoots first. Han dodges the blast with like a one-frame cut of the head. And then he shoots Greedo in self-defense. This is dumb for so many reasons, like Greedo missing a shot from point-blank range. But what really gets people steamed is that it robbed Han Solo of his most defining character traits and weakened the impact of his changing motivations throughout the series. Oh no, he's a good guy turning into a good guy? How complicated. Just because you can revise doesn't mean you should. In the revision process, we start with the first draft and a desire to change it, and we are pushed toward adaptation. In the adaptation episode, I encourage you to be fearless in messing with your own work, knowing that you could always go back if the worst should happen. But in this episode, we give the single caveat to that audacity. You have to know when to stop. Now, I happen to have unique insight into this. The Author's Dozen Project was a unique experiment in knowing when to quit. The time to quit each of my books that I had to write in a month was the first of the subsequent month. I had to start a new book, and I couldn't continue messing with the last one. In addition, I had a podcast to get out the door each week. And why was that important? Well, otherwise, you keep going on and on and on in the middle and in the details and never focus on the ending and what the finish will actually look like. They might be all about the journey rather than the destination, but without a destination, you don't have a journey. You friggin' idiots. In different fields, uh, there are different names for this lost-in-the-weeds sensation. In business, it's called scope creep. 
Scope creep is this kind of wild growth that occurs when you start a project, then you widen and widen its parameters and get more and more ambitious, to the point at which you're in danger of never finishing anything. There was this video game out last year called Cyberpunk 2077. I loved it, but it was flawed. People said that the game was unfinished, but I contend it would never have been finished if you gave them a hundred years to finish it. The reason is that they used all their time adding more and more features and assets and never really focusing on what the game would look like when it launched. In other words, feature creep. The game they finally released was an ambitious, sprawling, broken mess. Again, I love the game, it swung for the fences, but it didn't keep its eye on the ball. It was never going to be a refined piece of software unless the developers limited their scope to what they could realistically accomplish. In the military, they have another name, it's called uh, Mission Creep. Mission creep is when you have a success, and the success makes you think that you can take on more and more missions. Missions that weren't even on your metaphorical or literal radar in the first place. However, you keep chasing these successes and you eventually run into a failure with the potential to sabotage all of your prior successes. Like, let's imagine a complete hypothetical where some terrorists commit an attack on American soil. Imagine that. Following the attack, Americans are so fired up and desirous of action that they grant unilateral powers via a seemingly patriotic act to the executive branch of the government. And this government uses this patriotic act not only for its intended terrorist killing purpose, but also to tap your telephones, record your emails, spy on literally everyone everywhere through every form of media. People would eventually hate the act and everyone behind it. It might cause way more problems than it solved. People might even incorporate a ham-fisted, analogous plot into Star Wars movies. So, how do you avoid this happening to your own work, both in writing and revision? First, deadlines and challenges. Divide your work into chunks and set a limit for when each of those chunks will be completely revised. I like to tackle two chapters a day when I'm refining the writing, and 1,000 words a day if I'm writing completely new content. You can set whatever goals you like, as long as you set the goals. And why set the goals in the first place? Well, it's amazing what you can do when you've got a goal that you have to meet. It's the same logic behind making a budget for spending or setting a caloric intake on a diet. You find out what you'd most like to cut if you really need to cut. If you need to make a word budget or a character budget, you will discover that some words and characters are more important than others, or whether certain things are redundant or just unnecessary to begin with. Again, maybe you'll discover that you went too far, but remember, you've still got that old draft sitting around if you need to patch things up. You're still the person who made that old thing, and you can always make it again. The second tool is setting mission parameters. Now, you're not going to be able to say, I want this work of art to be 20% artier, or whatever. You can, though, make a concise statement of exactly what issues you want to address in your revision, and what core values you want to maintain or strengthen. In the first draft of my novel, The Eerie, I had tons of extraneous content. And that's good, usually. Throwing things against the wall to see if they stick is a good approach to creation. However, some content is stickier than others. Any interior designer knows that the more things you stuck on a wall, the less attention you'll get for each of the stickies. Don't settle for removing the worst parts of your work. Try and remove things that are only moderately good. Once that's done and you have the cream of the crop, you might find yourself with something that's either really slim and efficient, or something that has room to fit in something that's better than what it replaces. For instance, I wrote the Eerie to focus on as few characters as I could manage. 
This meant cutting some characters like the daughter I spoke about the last episode. Get rid of your daughters, people. That's, that's all I'm saying. However, I also had two characters with similar goals and motivations. One who influenced the past of the story, and one who influenced the present of the story. I decided that it might be fun to see if I could combine these two characters by revealing that the character of the present is actually the character from the past. The combination fit in a really satisfying way that made the resulting character multifaceted and interesting in a way that two separate characters never were, and it cut down on the things the reader had to keep track of. Wow, great job, Paul. Why, thank you. Thank you so much. And it's concrete too, so you know when you're done. So make a list of things you want to accomplish and by when you want them accomplished. That's the key takeaway. That's the take that it's key for you to away take. Ah, but what about the intangibles like artiness or prose or polish or what have you? Well, first of all, I've found that you just sort of find those along the way and fix them as you see them. Those things are usually not something you can spot from afar, but once you're close up, it gets real obvious. Second of all, that's an intangible goal, and it's hard to notice if you're making things better or worse in service of that goal. It's like a Democrat and a Republican who both say they want to improve the economy, but come at it with diametrically opposed methods. You can't set as a mission parameter the goal of making the writing betterer any more than you could run for office on a platform of making the economy good. When you've won, stop. And to know you've won, listen to critics both inside and outside your brain. Now, good inner critics and good external critics are pretty much the same. When you find your ideal audience, trust what they say about your work. If they say it's good, assume it's good. If they say it's lacking, assume it's lacking. Sometimes one or the other is wrong, but they're rarely both wrong at the same time about the same things. How to tell the good critic from the bad is a conversation for next week, but for the moment, take the criticism with a grain of salt. But do take the criticism, otherwise you're just eating salt. And don't do that, you weirdo. I'm revising uh, the world machine book called Ironclad Nocturne, and the shark metaphor reminds me of why I'm writing the book. I began throwing a lot of things at the wall for that story, but one thing that I landed on that really stuck with me is the idea of a machine just going on and on and on only to feed itself. It's that view of life or any other system where there's no real point to it. It just goes and we're just supposed to enjoy the ride, even though there's no philosophical underpinning to why we should enjoy enjoying. And it gets even worse when you discover that people can tend to enjoy anything. The rationale is the same whether you're serving at a soup kitchen or bashing in someone's head with a baseball bat. They're all just machines. Sharks are like super cool. They're awesome because they got the pointy teeth and they chomp with the teeth. Isn't that cool? And they're really scary. More people have died this year in gender reveal party accidents than have uh, by being eaten by sharks. But, you know, gender reveal parties don't have big scary teeth. But you gotta feel sorry for the shark because it's literally just a feeding machine. They just cruise through the water and never sleep and they eat each other, and they go into feeding frenzies where they just don't even think, they just get that blood. And though they're vital to, like, the ocean running or whatever, they are just eating machines. Is that how you're going about your project right now? Just 
doing it and doing it and doing it and not really caring where it goes or why it goes there? Are you stuck doing something today because you did it yesterday and the day before that? Or can you point to something and say, that is what I want to occur at the end of all of this? I can enjoy the ride, but the ride has got to end in this exact good and meaningful space. Now, maybe your mission shifts. Maybe you end up something better or worse than where you meant to end. But human desire is like a shark's desire. It's unlimited. It's never full and never satisfied. So your goal isn't just somewhere that you want to get to. It's also a limit, a boundary beyond which things stop being good and great and start being obsessive and excessive. Learning how to win is just as much about getting there as it is about stopping once you're there. Because you aren't an eating or writing or creating machine. Specialization is for insects. You're a person who does all kinds of stuff. You are meant to be rounded and full. And that's one reason why your work should be sharp and to the point. So that's why I'm making a public limit and assignment for myself. I'm going to get to 140 words of the book Ironclad Nocturne by the end of the month of uh, May. Yeah, that's a good date. I've mapped out ahead of time that that is the length that I want my book to be. And I know what events I want to happen for my book. So there we go. It's all planned out. If things don't go according to plan, I at least have like a ballpark, a bullseye that I can aim for. So if you're listening when this episode originally drops, that's two months from now. It's not a lot of time. But I don't see that as being rushed. I see that as setting a limit so that I can tell myself that I'll be done writing this thing one day. So that I can go on to new and exciting things. So in my most self importantness voice, no matter how or where you go, just make sure you arrive. Ha-ha! See, this is why I write, because in my, in my regular voice, I tend to just make everything sound super sarcastic and undercut the very earnest points that I'm trying to make. And in writing, it can just be, oh, so broad and grand. Oh, <laughs> uh. Also, also, and here's something, here's something that I'll be totally earnest about. You got like two months before you can get vaccinated or, you know, that your friends can get vaccinated and go and play board games and kiss you full on the lips. Uh, So before that time, you ain't got nothing to do. Set yourself a really short term goal that you're like, oh, I'm going to do this for this amount of time and I will reach these goals because they are achievable and concrete and good for me. Uh, So, yeah, beginning of April, tell yourself that you'll do like a sit up before these two months are up, you know, do something that's really going to benefit you so very much. I'm picturing you, the listener, doing a single sit-up and and your abs just explode out of your stomach and you begin to like use them as little legs, like a caterpillar's legs and the abs like, you know, squirm around like like octopus legs. And that's what I, I want for you my dear friend. Go check out authorsdozen.com for free books, podcasts. Uh, I don't know. What else do I have up there? Stuff. Social media. Ooh, yeah.